Uh, so glad that you're here. Uh, this is the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. Again, if this is your first time, we're so thankful you're here uh, with us, uh, eager to jump in as we uh, launch a new uh, series study together um, in uh, the book of Exodus um, in the life, the life of Moses. Before we get there, I want to I want to pray for us in a moment. But uh, I mean, many of us are aware, obviously, of, of the events of this past Friday, right? And the reminder uh, for all of us that we live in an ever-changing world. Um, we are not uh, in denial about that. We're not, frankly, all that surprised. Um, and yet, we uh, we continue to want to know how to love people and, and honor honor God's word uh, in our society. Um, we're going to be sending out some resources later this week. You should receive an email from Pastor Tom if you're on that mailing list. Um, just some ways to help us. Uh, and if you weren't here a few months ago, we took three weeks. We were studying 1 Corinthians. Uh, and there in 1 Corinthians, there's a, a section uh, where we took three weeks to talk about the many facets of our broken sexuality. Um, what God's design is and how we live into that. How do we respond to others um, who, who, would, who would believe otherwise or, or live uh, differently from us? Um, I'd encourage you, if you miss those or maybe you just need a refresher in light of the events, uh, go back and listen to those. All those are on our website. Um, you can find the podcast as well if that's easier for you on your smartphone. Um, to help you find them, that was uh, February 22nd, March 1st, and March 8th. Uh, we called them uh, uh, So Were We, I think, kind of from, from Paul's language there. Um, if that helps you, part one, part two, and part three. We also produce a resource during that, that time, those three weeks, uh, that you can find on our website just to help us understand God's design for sexuality and how all of us, right, are, are broken in, in many ways. And the reality is our, our definition of right and wrong, um, definition of our own identity and who we are, um, it does not rise and fall with public opinion or what's legal or what's illegal, um, but is based on and centers out of God's, of God's word for us. Our, our job is to be gracious and to be faithful. Uh, let me pray for us, um, pray for our, our situation as well as us as we enter into this, this study together. Um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we believe that no matter what happens, no matter what we see in our culture, no matter how many changes we experience, you are still king and we give you our allegiance. Our hope is not in laws or public opinion or our own uh, self-expression, God, but in you, our Savior. Protect your church. Protect your people. Give us words of love and grace, even when we disagree, God, and I pray that you would help us as your people to, to not, God, so many of the things that are said end up being thoughtless and cruel, um, frankly, ignorant and faithless. God, I pray that we would um, instead respond with love and grace, even in the midst of what we believe to be right and true. And give us faithfulness to persevere whatever comes. And God, I pray that we together would remember that we are no longer citizens of this world. But that we are strangers in exile, not unlike the people of Israel we'll encounter this morning. And we await a better kingdom, a better city. And so until then, Lord Jesus, help us to be faithful, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Oh, well, here we are, a new, a new study, a new series, a new time uh, together. If only someone knew. I mean, really, really knew, right? If only someone heard or, or saw me, like really me, not the theory of me, but me, right? All the heartaches, all the disappointments and the regrets, the things that I wish were not there, my own shames and disappointments along the way. If only someone saw them, understood them. Not just the theory of them, but truly understood how, how sad I sometimes feel, how afraid, how, how alone, right? I mean, have, 
Have we been forgotten? Have I been forgotten? Is this, is this all really part of God's plan? And I know I'm not the first pe- person to ask those questions or to feel that way. I mean, often this past week, I have thought, I'm sure as many of you have as well, uh, at, at, again, about the church in, in Charleston, right? I mean, it's, how can we not think about that? We're nine of our, our brothers and sisters, right? People in our family, right, together along with us are murdered in their own church. And we cry out, God, is this, is this really your plan? I mean, not only is that a reminder of how racially divided our nation continues to be, and let's, I mean, let's not be naive, right? We take one step forward and two steps back. Uh, we are just a couple of years away from the 400th anniversary of the first Africans brought to America to be slaves. 400 years. And the sins of our fathers continue to wreak havoc upon us. Even in our own city. And, and it's not incidental that this happened in a church, right? This terrible event. In fact, if you look back over the history of the, of the persecution around African Americans, much of it is at their church. A place of unity, of hope, of power, right, in Jesus' name. And it reminds me of the ongoing persecution around the world where Christians, our family, right, our brothers and sisters continue to face all kinds of persecution and, and imprisonment and torture and even, even death, right? Even, even in South Carolina. Now, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a minority. I don't know what it's like to have slavery in my family tree. I've never been oppressed, not really. And yet I can only imagine our brothers and sisters crying out, God, is this really part of your plan? Have, have, you, have you forgotten? Does anyone see? Does anyone, does anyone know, know? And I, I know you felt that way as well. I mean, sure, maybe not, maybe not like them, right? And let's not, let's not pretend that our experiences are the same. And yet everyone at some times, we feel it, don't we? We feel lost. We feel uh, the brokenness sort of crushing in around us, our own circumstances, our own regrets, our bad decisions, right? The, the shame with, that lives within us. And sometimes we just feel alone. And we wonder if anyone sees, if anyone knows. And so you look at your life, whatever, whatever that is for you, right? Whatever keeps you awake at night, and you ask, God, is this really what you want? Or have you forgotten? And some of you feel that way right now. Maybe that's even why you're here. Maybe that's what brought you to church this morning, is that you're just looking for even just the glimmer of hope, just the tiny, slightest bit of hope that you haven't actually been forgotten, that there is someone who remembers, someone who knows Reminds me of a story. There's this old story, uh, and we're going to take the next seven weeks to tell this story together. It, it takes place in the Old Testament book of, of Exodus. That's the, the second book of our Bibles, um, so I wasn't exaggerating. It's like super old, right? A long, long time ago. In fact, historians tell us that it's somewhere between 32 and 3,500 years ago, so around 1400 BC, give or take. The setting is Egypt, and even just to put it in perspective for a moment here, this always blows me away when I remember this, that at this point in our story in 1400 BC, uh, the pyramids and the Sphinx were already a thousand years old. 
So the people in our story saw these same sights and with us marveled at the power of the Egyptians and the incredible oppression around them. Well, our our true story, it's actually a sequel. Uh, And since we're starting in Exodus, let me kind of back us up just for a quick second here uh, about the the first story, right? If you imagine it as a movie, the first movie is Genesis, right? And that that tells the the story, it's the first book of the Bible, that tells the story of of the the beginning of God's people. And it's it's a pretty messy start, quite honestly. And and by the end of Genesis, uh, there are about 70 Israelites, 70 Hebrews, 70 of, of these God's people. And Joseph is one of them. And through this remarkable situation, I mean, all of, I mean, crazy experiences in Joseph's life. Um, I wish we could go into that. We won't today. Uh, but essentially, he finds himself as the number two guy in Egypt. Seriously. Like, he went from prison there all the way to being the number two individual in, in Egypt. And God uses him to miraculously deliver Egypt from famine. And the nation is rescued. And because of that, Joseph's family, the 70 of them, not really a nation, but, you know, a family reunion, right? They come and they make their way to Egypt because there's food there. They, as immigrants, leave, leave their home, right? And they go to where they can find sustenance and life, and they're protected by Joseph. And so when our, our first movie ends, it's it's a happy ending, right? Everybody's rescued and Joseph is, is the hero and really God is the hero because God used Joseph to do this incredible thing and yet now, when our story opens, there's been 400 years with not a word from God. 400 years. As, as things have moved in their lives from, from, from great, like just phenomenal, Right? absolutely terrible in just a few generations. And so picture our movie starting with these words flashing on the screen. It says there, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land of Egypt, that's where they are, was filled with them. I mean, God had promised them that they were going to, to multiply and like rabbits they had, right? By this point, we're talking somewhere around nearly 2 million Israelites. It's not bad for 70 immigrants, right? So far, so good. But then here's the tension in verse 8, chapter 1 of Exodus. Building the scene, the author says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, who didn't remember how how Joseph had had delivered them from from famine. And so this this new Pharaoh, right now he's in charge, he says, behold, the people of Israel are, are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens Verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. God, I don't want to tell you how to do your job. 
But is this really your plan for your people? Is this the best you can do? Is this the fulfillment of the promises that you made to, to Abraham? Really? And yet you can't help but see how God is working there, right? How they keep multiplying, right? How they keep flourishing despite all these circumstances. And yet with every sort of multiplication, the oppression multiplies right along with it. Things just keep getting worse as they get better, it seems. You know, God's work in our lives doesn't mean things are going to be easy. Frankly, sometimes when God works in your life, life gets a whole lot harder first. You see that right there, right? God is at work, and yet the mess just piles up behind them. Do you see what's happening? So the, the, the minority culture, right, there in Egypt is getting larger, gaining power. So what happens? Those with power use fear to oppress. And think about it. The Israelites have lived there almost 400 years by this point, and yet they are still outsiders. They're still immigrants. They're still unwanted. We can't let them have more power than us. What if they never learn our language? What if they take our jobs? What if their kids end up playing with my kids? Listen, the reality is, before we identify with the Israelites, some of us need to confess how much like Egypt we are. Because we look around and we see minorities in our country growing at a rapid rate, right? And some of us, in fear, we long to keep them down, right? We long to push them aside. We long to maintain our own power. And so we will do what we can to neglect them, to ignore them. We don't even realize it, right? Us as a majority powerful culture, we, we don't even realize the ways that we continue to push people down. And I don't want to give away too much of this story, right? We'll get there in the weeks ahead. But just so you know, if that describes you, if you're one who oppresses or neglects those who are less fortunate, if we see anything in this story, if that's you, sooner or later, God will cut you down. That's what's coming in this story for those who oppress. And here in, in Egypt, it only gets worse. So again, now there, there are roughly two million Israelite slaves. It's no wonder that Egypt was able to build such cool stuff, Right? all this expendable labor. And yet they continue to multiply and fear continues to multiply along with it. And so Pharaoh, this new Pharaoh, hatches a, a plan. Let's kill all the baby boys, he decides. Well, that sounds like a good idea. He's not afraid of girls, Okay. Which I find it really ironic, because in these first two chapters, it's the women who keep subverting Pharaoh. They're the, they're the heroes so far in this story. God working through these, these women. And yet, he's not, he's not afraid of the women. Uh, and so he orders the Hebrew midwives uh, to murder every son who's born. I, I mean, just think about that for a second, right? That feels so distant. That feels like a, a completely different kind of story. It's a, a different planet than ours, right? But how many of you uh, have sons or brothers? Raise your hand. This is going to affect a lot of people, right? And even, even just imagine for a moment, imagine being in that situation, giving birth, and you, you are a slave. All you've known of your life is, a, is slavery, and yet there you are about to, about to give birth, or your wife is about to give birth, and you don't know what you're having, right? There's no technology to figure that, but you're praying to sweet Jesus that it's a daughter. And immediately, your joy turns to terror as you see 
the death sentence written on his little body. When you wait for the inevitable splash as your baby is thrown into the river. God, is this really your plan for us? Is this really the best that you can do? Now the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Verse 20 then, so God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Some laws need to be broken, right? And these two lowly Hebrew midwives feared God, not man. And they're remembered for it. I mean, even think about that. Again, the time that has passed since this story, and yet we know two of their names, right? It says right there in the text, Shifra and Pua. Their names are written down for us, for us to always remember and celebrate. They feared God, not man. And yet Pharaoh, do you notice his name is not in here? Isn't that interesting? I just love that little detail about this story, right? I mean, Moses is the one we, we believe is writing down this history for us. And Moses is going to come into the story in, in a second here. Uh, but Moses grew up in the palaces of Egypt. He knew the pharaohs. And yet this is, this is Moses' way of sticking it to him. You think you're powerful? You think you're mighty and important? No, these two lowly women, they will be remembered. But you, Pharaoh, your name is not even worth the ink it takes to put it on paper. And you will be forgotten. Subtle bit of condemnation right there. But these midwives, they're remembered. And so, yeah, some of the baby boys actually lived. That's a good thing. But none of this fixes the problem. They're still slaves. They're still being attacked. They're still living in constant fear. I mean... God, thanks for a few faithful midwives. It's great and all, but is that the best you can do? Who will deliver us? And now we're sort of primed for a hero, right? I mean, even as you're reading the text, you can kind of feel it coming on as things get worse and worse and worse. And and the story zeroes in on this young Hebrew couple, not not unlike many of us in this room, and a baby is, is born, a boy condemned and you just know that something is about to happen right I mean, why is the author telling us this story and his mom risks everything to keep him alive for three months she keeps him hidden how she manages it i have no idea right like how do you keep a newborn quiet enough for three months that no one knows but he's gotten older he's gotten louder and it's gotten way more difficult she has a family. You know, they're all at risk. There's at least one daughter in this family already. Every one of them is at risk because of this innocent little boy who continues to cry and be a little infant boy in their home. And so she eventually, well, she kind of obeys Pharaoh. She tosses him in the river. But not quite. She's got a plan. At least somebody does, Right? She puts her baby boy in this little makeshift basket boat sort of thing. 
right? It's the kind of thing you think of with the kid's story and the little flannel graph, right? And it's all cute and fun and all that. But just imagine putting your child in that and sending it in the river. Saying goodbye. Hoping for the best. I mean, she does have a plan, but she has no idea how it's going to end up. And her daughter, the boy's big sis, he follow, she follows the, the, the little boat, right? She's not going to let her eyes off of him. It's her little brother in there. And they had, they had put the basket in among the reeds, right? It happened to be a place in the river uh, where Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh, right, the enemy, right, where she bathed. And imagine, I mean, just even think about that in the moment. Praying to a God who has seemed so absent and so silent, your situation so desperate, and praying that the enemy would find your baby. Well, eventually she does, right? Don't know all the, the details of what happened there, but she goes over and she sees and she re- immediately recognizes, Pharaoh's daughter immediately recognizes, this is a Hebrew. The law requires that she topple the basket and walk away. That'll stop the crying. She takes pity on him. And she decides to raise him as her own. As her own son. I mean, while his his big sister is watching everything, right? And even just imagine the courage of this young daughter of a slave approaching Pharaoh's daughter, right? The most powerful person in that world, right? The the daughter going up to her and saying, you know what? I I know of someone who can help you uh, take care of this baby, if you like. I mean, is it a a trap? What's going to happen? But Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, go get this, this woman. And so the daughter goes out and she gets the boy's own mom, right? Who is then paid to take care of her own baby there in Pharaoh's palace. And while that, it's awesome, right? You can't miss the irony in the story of her being paid to care for her own son as a slave. And it feels a little bit like hope, right? And now we actually have a hunch that maybe this story is really going somewhere, and yet still? I mean, let's not romanticize it too much. Is this, is this really the best she can do? I mean, yeah, her, her son is alive, but he was adopted against her will, right? Taken from her. And, and in, a, in a world in which cultural and ethnic identity were everything, he's going to be raised by the enemy. He's going to be trained to worship their gods, assimilated into their mess, taught to hate and to oppress. Her own son is now one of them. He's part of the problem. Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses. I just wonder what his real mom named him. Moses sounds like the Hebrew word to draw out, like to draw out of the water. But it's also related to the Egyptian word for son. This isn't your son, lady. He's not one of you. God, have you forgotten us? Okay, so now we're like dying for something good to happen, right? And I'm guessing most of us have probably heard of Moses, maybe at some point or other. Maybe you even recognize that he's, he's kind of going to end up being sort of a big deal, right? So we're ready for some good news. Don't hold your breath. Sometimes with God, things only get worse before they get better. Forty years go by, 
40. I mean, I don't like to wait 40 minutes, but 40 years. So add 40 to whatever age you happen to be right now, and that's how long you've still been a slave, still been in fear, still worried about your children, still oppressed and thrown down. Ah, but Moses is here now. Thank God for Moses. His first story as an adult. He becomes a murderer. He really is just like them, right? Using power to uh, oppress, to, to take matters into his own hands, to, to do what he wants, right? Abusing power, just like the Egyptians. He is one of them, and he gets himself exiled as a result. Chapter 2, verse 15, that's where we are now. It says, when Pharaoh heard of it, what Moses had done, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Midian is where the Israelites came from 400 years before, right? So they're back right where they started. And even there, right, the, the first person who sees Moses refers to him as an Egyptian, right? Doesn't even recognize him as a Hebrew. He, he's lost his identity. He is nobody and no one now out in the desert. Moses is a failure before he even gets started. He's not the hero that people are looking for. For Moses needed to learn how to be a sojourner in a foreign land, it says. And then another 40 years go by, and still nothing happens. So 40 plus 40 plus your current age, most of us in this room are dead, waiting taking disappointment to our graves. Does no one see? Does anyone hear? I mean, is, this, is this really the plan? We wait and we wait and we wait and we die in grief? How long will African Americans continue to be the target of violence? How long will our sisters and brothers in places like Iraq and Iran who call on the name of Jesus, how long will they continue to be murdered and raped and imprisoned? For their faith. How long will violence and rage and oppression continue to, to seem to rule in our world? How long will your deadbeat ex-husband neglect his kids? How long will you be alone? How, how long will your disease persist? How many times will you be passed over at work and, and fail to be able to make ends meet? How long will depression and anxiety and loneliness seem to take you? The brokenness in your relationships, infertility, fear, and finally death. Not to mention a slavery to sin we cannot seem to shake. Of course we groan. We weep, we rage. We, we, and we, we can't even imagine what they went through. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? But wait. very end of our story. Only a couple of verses left that we're going to talk about this morning. But look what it says, beginning chapter 2, verse, verse 23. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. 
that's where there's hope. There's where our hero emerges. It's taken us a long time to get there, frankly. Imagine how long it took them. But if there's one thing for us to remember this morning, it's this. God hears you. God sees you. God remembers you. And God knows. And as the story continues in the weeks ahead, God's not finished with you. I know that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily answer the pain, right, or the disappointment that you feel or the regret or, or whatever it is you happen to deal with. I mean, we also, like Israel, we cry out, deliver us, don't we, from the heartache around me and the shame within me. Deliver us. And we may not know how or when God is going to finally intervene. And frankly, it might come after we're dead. But if you belong to him, God hears you, God sees you, God remembers you, and God knows. And that's what I want to say to Farshid. We've been praying for Farshid. He's one of our ministry partners. He's imprisoned in Iran for preaching the gospel. He's my age. He's got two little kids. He's in a brutal prison because of his faith in Jesus and is longing for others to hear and understand that message. Farshid, God hears you. It's what, I, it's what I want to say to our sisters and brothers in Charleston and Baltimore and Ferguson and, and Kansas City that God sees you. It's what, it's what I want to say to the, the single mom, the person dying of cancer, to the one alienated from the people they love or struggling with same-sex attraction. As we battle our fears, as we suffer our own brokenness and shame, God remembers you. It's also what I want to say to the person who supports or makes unjust laws who continues to oppress or to neglect those who are less fortunate. God knows. Do you believe that? Do you at least want to believe it? I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is you're dealing with. I don't know the things that keep you up at night. But I think most of us, even now, or, or maybe, maybe sometime in the future, maybe your life has been smooth and easy and there's a good chance there's, there's trouble yet ahead. I think most of us long for someone to actually intervene, someone with a plan to deliver us. And we wait. And yes, God may seem silent. Sometimes he seems so absent from us. But if this is our God, if this is the one we serve, then there, there are three things just quickly for us to mention, for us to do while we wait in all of our longings. Three things. First, we can cry out to the God who hears us. You may not hear him. You may not see him right now. And yet you can cry out to him. God can handle your pain, your anger, your fear, all of it. You can bring that to him. You don't have to shut him out just because you can't feel him. Tell him. Tell him with tears. Read Psalm 13. That's a, that's a great example. If you want an example of how to do this, right? How to, how to cry out to God in a ways that is honest and, and true and yet maintains trust. Psalm 13 is a great, a great example of this. And this is how I begin and end my day, reminding myself of how dependent I am before this God, of how much, how much I need him, how, how I long for him to actually intervene in my messed up world. God sees you. He hears you. Tell him. Second, remind yourself what God remembers. Remind yourself what God 
remembers. God remembered his covenant, right? That means he remembered his promises, the promises that he made to his people. And it's not that he just like kind of forgot and somebody had to jog his memory, right? That's what we kind of think of when we hear that. Like, what's, what's wrong with him? Why, why did we, you know, why, why did he forget? But that's, that's not what's going on here. It's that sometimes it feels so deeply as if he's forgotten. And again, most of us have felt that, right? Where we look at God's promises and the things that he says to us as his people and we think, God, you, surely you've forgotten or maybe this just doesn't apply to me, and we think somehow we are left out of those incredible promises that he, that he makes for us. But here we know that he hasn't. So remind yourself what he remembers. Promises like, here, here are just a few of my favorites. Promises like, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing. Or, or that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Or that if we confess our sins no matter what they are, right? No matter how deep or ugly or hidden, how much shame they cause us or pain around us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins. That those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Or the psalmist who says, God, you are my rock and my refuge, and for your name's sake, you lead me and you guide me. For all things work together for good for those who love him. Take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. Maybe my favorite of all of them, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you have given your life to him, these are the promises he remembers about you. Not just the the person sitting next to you. Not just us collectively here in some theoretical sense in which you'll never be able to feel. These are the promises God remembers about you. Remind yourself what he remembers and cling to them. And the last thing, and really, this is, this is what it all comes down to. Trust the only God who actually knows. It all comes down to who, who we're actually going to trust. I mean, who's that going to be? Am I, I going to trust myself, right? Well, how's that, how's that working out, right? We've done that, right? You're, you're doing that. I'm doing that. It's not working out. Are we going to trust some flaky hero like Moses? I mean, he's going to fail again. He's going to do some pretty awesome things, but he's going to blow it. He's not the hero we're looking for. Or are we going to trust the God of the universe who made you? Who knows you better than know yourself? Who knows everything about you and loves you still? And who actually knows? God saw the people of Israel and God knew. The word for know here. It's a bit different from our, our word from know. It, it inclu- it's the word, Hebrew word yada, uh, which includes the cognitive kind of knowing. That's kind of what we think of when we think of uh, to know something. But it's, it's deeper than that. It's more relational than that. In fact, it, it's often used as a euphemism throughout the Old Testament for sex. I'm not trying to be weird, but you know, we say they made love, uh, or we say that. They would say they knew each other, right? It's that kind of knowing. It's a kind of, of intimacy. It's not, it's not distant and aloof. It's not far off, right? It's, it's intimate and caring. It's deep and it's felt. But how is that possible? I mean, how could God, all the way up there, right, seemingly so distant, so out of reach, how could he possibly know what it feels like to be me? To know what I'm going through? Well, friends, it's because he's been here. Our God has been here. This God, the God of the Hebrews, the God that we serve, our God, he knows what it's like to be oppressed. He knows what it's like to be mistreated or overlooked, to be abused, to be betrayed, to be ignored. He he knows what it's like to to go to the funeral of a close friend. He knows what it's like to be tempted to do something terrible. He knows what it's like to, to weep, to feel real pain, to be alone. He even knows what it's like to face death 
to die, to lose, to lose a son even, the death of his only child. Nobody else can say that about their God. And his name is Jesus. And he doesn't just hear us and see us from a distance. He has been here with us. And he knows what it's like to live on this broken planet with these broken bodies and in these broken lives. And he died to set us free from our slavery to sin and death. And he rose again to offer us hope over every heartache. Yes, we wait. Of course we do. And some of us, we may wait our entire lives. I'm not going to lie to you. Trust doesn't guarantee that life is going to be easy. In fact, again, as we've said, sometimes trust makes life a whole lot harder. But he knows. And he promises to make it right, to make your story right. To do it in you and to do it around you. Because Jesus hears you. Jesus sees you. Jesus remembers you. And Jesus knows. Let's pray. God, I pray that we believe these words and that we believe that they are true about us, that they are true about me, that together as your children, we can know and, and believe and find hope in the fact that you see, you hear, you remember, you know. God, I pray that we would not see you as distant and aloof, but as the God who has come, who has given your life, who has done everything to show your love, and that you, you're not done yet. Just as you're not done in this story as we continue, but you're not done in our stories, and yet you will continue to work, and that you will make it right. God, I pray that we'd be faithful as we wait, and that we would anticipate the day in which we encounter you face to face. And we will praise you and we will worship you and we will be made whole. Lord Jesus, come quickly.